Morning, church. Morning. <laughs> it can actually get quiet in here for a moment or two, and that's not bad. But the Word of God has to be boisterous. Are you ready for this? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, just an inch can make a lot of difference. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> okay. All right. We are embarking on a new chapter of Galatians this morning. We, as Christians, are truly free. I say that again. We are free indeed. Totally free. What are we free? Well, what's, what's the idea? Well, we're free from the bondage. We're free from uh, being slaves because we are saved. We are emancipated. Isn't that good to know? We really are. It's the freedom of being totally accepted with God and knowing that God accepts us. Free in Him because of what Christ has done. It's freedom from uh, terrible frustration. You know, next time you get frustrated, just think about the freedom that you actually have and look at the big thing behind it. Look at the thing of what we've been talking about this morning and it puts things back into perspective, doesn't it? Uh, there's a pressure of struggling sometimes and put things back in perspective that you are free in Christ indeed. Now Paul... And this section today is going to be uh, exhorting us powerfully, of the Galatians here, not to surrender the freedom that they actually have in Christ, but they're to stand firm in that freedom, to stand firm, solid, strongly. And uh, we know that the Judaizers had come and they were there to destroy their freedom and put them back into bondage. And Paul has spent all this time dealing with that. And he's saying, don't go back to that bondage. You don't need that. So, we review real quickly. We saw in the very first section of Galatians, part 1, that's dealing with Paul, and he deals with his own experience. And it's dealing with his apostleship. And he argues for grace. Argues for grace. He's constantly doing that through the New Testament. People, we are people of grace. It's all by God's grace. And so Paul dealt with his own experience and and the testimony of others. And then he backed that up in the next section, starting in uh, chapter 3 and 4. We saw that the theological argument was then brought forth. He gave his experience... But experience is almost as good as the theology is. And he brought forth one Old Testament passage after another, after another, after another. And he drew upon those great passages that they should know. Or if they didn't know, that they will know. That's really what it's about. But he was showing that grace is always superior. Think of any religions, any religion beside Christianity, and it's never grace. And if they do say grace, it's grace plus something. And you can't have that. And that's very present even in our time. We know that very present. Always has been. So there's two sections. You have experience of Paul. Then you have the theology and doctrine of Paul in the second section. And there's a third section, and that's where we're heading right now. Uh, Today, we find a moral argument here. And this is going to be a practical aspect. We've seen it historically from what Paul was talking about in this first section. Second section is dealing with it doctrinally. So you have historical, you have the doctrinal, and then you have the moral or the practical 
aspect. And that's how we can divide up the book of Galatians. If you can think of three parts. You know, Ephesians is easy to remember. You know how we have that? We have doctrine, and then we have practice. Here, it's along the same lines. Um, Paul defends his apostleship. Justification by faith is then shown doctrine, and then chapter 3 applies that doctrine. The very life that you have, the life of your soul right uh, now, and and as you go through uh, your everyday life, um, you are being ministered to by the Holy Spirit. And He carries you through that. He ministers to you the life of faith. And it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do that. Okay, uh, been doing this all morning and I've been having you stand. So why don't we do it uh, one more time. And we'll uh, open up to Galatians 5. We're moving right along in Galatians. Galatians 5 is going to be the first 12 verses. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This person did not come from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the freedom. Thank You so much for the liberty. Thank You for reminding us of who we are in Christ set free to serve You. And so help us with this Word to build us up. Feed us this morning, Lord, by Your Holy Spirit and Your Word. Feed us. Make us strong so that we can stand firm in the time that we live in. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Lord, speak to us here. Lord, speak to us through Your Word. We know that there are a lot of things here that we already have seemed to have covered, but now we're starting to see the practical aspect. Lord, help us here. And you remember that we finished up last week uh, at the end of chapter 4, and we kind of went into chapter 5, verse 1, but that was just kind of an introduction of what we're going to be covering here today. But verse 31, so it says, So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman. And who was the bondwoman? It was Hagar, who had a son by the name of Ishmael. Very good. And we're not of that persuasion. We were. 
but we are of the free woman, it says here, but of the free woman, the woman Sarah, who had a son named Isaac. Very good. And so because of that, we see the picture that we are the free woman. We are set free. And so the next verse says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's what He did. He freed us. And we'll see in a moment what all He frees us from. And it's just reminding us what what we are free. We've been talking about a lot of freedom. This whole letter is dealing with uh, either or. Either freedom or bondage. What do you want? (laughs) Everybody wants to be free. How many people are in bondage? Most in this world today. Most. Few there be that find it, Jesus said. And it's not by our own intelligence. (laughs) So for the glory of God, isn't it? All by His grace. It is Christ who made us free. It is Christ who keeps us free. Otherwise, we would go back into bondage. That's the way of our nature. But it's because of our substitute, because of His death, because of Him taking our place, because of the propitiation, which we talked about earlier this morning in a verse, by the gift of His grace in the new birth. He keeps us blessed. He keeps us blessed in this liberty of grace. We need to be reminded. And we need to keep looking to Him alone for the righteousness that is there. It's in Him. Continually look to Him. Look upon Christ, right? What is this liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free? What is this liberty? Free? Freedom? That's what Paul's speaking of here. And the freedom is, if you can think of it negatively, is freedom from God's wrath. We deserve His wrath. Freedom from the curse of the law. And that's what the law did. It's freedom from those things. It's freedom from absolute judgment. goes along with wrath. The law pronounces judgment upon us. But Romans 8.1 says, There therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set us free. <clears throat> the life of Christ, right? We have peace with God. So, it's the freedom to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit who controls my life. We now have freedom to do that. Before, we could not do it because we would not do it. We, we would not do it because we could not do it. Romans 8 tells us about that. We could not. It was impossible to follow the leading of the Spirit. So Paul is attacking this theology that was coming in. It was putting a yoke upon these people. And he hated that. It's one of the worst things that could happen. You know what? There are some people who feel real comfortable when they're held by the rigid laws and rules that are set down so therefore they know exactly what they can follow and they feel like they're doing something because laws have been set down by man. Man has always done that. Of course, the fair sake rule of life was that. And they made their own laws. Uh, ultimately, that's what it's going to come down to. And of course, it comes down in our time. What kind of... Uh, how you should wear your hair, women or men. Whether you can wear a beard or not wear a beard. Uh, what kind of clothes you wear. Uh, you, you can go on and on and on. All those outward, external things. And that's a travesty. It does not 
correlate with this book of grace. <laughs> um, but some people love to be in that. The external frames. Christianity is not in those external frames. It's not freedom to do evil or to sin or to do things that are questionable. We're not, we're not free to do that. We don't want that. That's not freedom. Because then it's starting to put a bondage on us. But there's an inside power that is here who resides in us. And by the way, really what we're getting to in chapters 5 and 6 is going to really start emphasizing the Holy Spirit. This is now... How can you practically do anything as a Christian? You can't do anything, right? But by the power of God's Spirit who lives in us, who indwells us. And so chapters 5 and 6 are really going to get into that. We'll get into one verse today, and you probably uh, read it. uh, Verse 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. That's the second coming, and we'll, we'll get into that one. I'm not on the introduction, by the way. I am on verse 1. Okay, we'll finish that. But it seems like an introduction, doesn't it? But I like this free. I like this liberty and grace. I don't like that yoke. By the way, any kind, it's self-righteousness is what it is. Anything besides grace is self-righteous. You make yourself righteous. You make yourself good. And he's attacking that. Do you know what? You know why he's attacking this? Because he knows it's as damnable as satanic worship itself. Say, so how can you say that? Because it deludes people into thinking that they're doing right, and they're even following scripture. They think it's just as damnable as the worst cultic thing that could be done. Kind of borrowing from John MacArthur on that one, I think. But do you see what? Why he's saying that? That's why Paul wrote a whole letter on this. That's how serious it is. You can say, well, it's got grace message in it. Yes, it does. But you cannot mix grace and law whatsoever. That's right. And so that's why Paul is really hitting it. Uh, liberty, and, and we'll just spend uh, a few moments on each one of these. You have them on your outline. A, liberty from law's bondage. And we've just kind of been covering that. He was, um, you know, Christ is the end of the law in that He fulfilled it. Right, He fulfilled that law. It is finished. He brought it to the close. He was made under the law that He might fulfill it for us. Now He is free from the law and we're free from the law in Him in exactly the same sense, in exactly the same degree. We are free from the curse of the law. Look in chapter 3, 13 and 14. You might remember these verses. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he was cursed. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive, look at this, the promise of the Spirit through faith. Of course, Galatians 5 is going to get right into that again, too. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 31 of Galatians. Oh, this is easy. We're just staying in the same section. Same book. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. And we did our Romans 8.1. Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Liberty from sin. 
That's another one. B, it kind of goes along with the laws behind it. We're not free from the being of it, nor from the indwelling of it, or I mean, or being around it, or the temptation of it. Boy, do we still have temptation, right? We're not free from that yet. That's what our hope is about, that we'll finally be delivered from all this, to get out of this, what, this incarcerated flesh that we live in today. That explains what's going on. We are incarcerated in the flesh, but as the new spirit man, we are set free. But we are people who have had the power of sin broken. It no longer has to have control over us. We are people who have been delivered from the dominion of it. We're out of that. Romans 6.11 tells us about that. Romans 6.11 says, Even so, consider, reckon, yourselves to be dead to sin. And if we're dead to sin, we're uh, alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're either dead or you're alive. (laughs) Dead or alive. Sounded like a wanted poster, doesn't it? I guess... Satan wants you dead. Christ makes you alive. So we're free from sin. Uh, If you want to look at verse 18, uh, just for a little more back up there, uh, same Romans 6. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I like that. I like to be called a slave. Sometimes I like to sign my name at the bottom of an email, Slave of Christ. Little s, I'm just a little slave. That's what I am. I'm a slave. I love it because I'm serving Christ. I want to serve Christ. The Lord imputed all my sins, past, present, future, all your sins, past, present, future, to Christ. Punished Him right there at the cross. Guess what? They've been taken care of. You are no longer under that sin anymore. Get rid of the guilt. And so, if you do sin, then you get rid of the guilt by going to Him. First John. So we have have an advocate, right? I read this, that this morning in chapter 2. We also have liberty of life. That's what freedom means. We have life. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. and talks about being born again. Born from above. For you have been, past tense, born again. That's life, folks. Because we had to be born again because we were actually, according to Ephesians 2, 1, what? Dead. Dead. Not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word. Why do we study the Word of God every week? Why don't we just get in and talk about some other books that are out there that have been released lately? Wouldn't that be really nice? You know, maybe help us in finances. You know, some of the greatest books that have been written, or you know, marriage books on marriage. Boy, that that needs to be talked about. Yeah, and and that you know, those things are here though. They're, you know, you could talk about a lot of things that could be helpful in our everyday life. And well, they should be, but that's not what it is to lift up Christ here and to get into His Word and see what He says about all those things. You know, um, when we're in Christ, all those things will be added unto you. The things that you need, He'll take care of. 
But here it says we were born again, given life, resurrected from the dead because of the living and enduring Word of God. And this is how we keep enduring. It's the Word of God. Have you been in it this week, reading every day? Man, you need to be. If you're not, and if you are, you still need to be every day. All flesh is like grass. All its glory like the flower grass. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. And so do born-again souls with the enduring Word of God. And this is the Word which was preached to you. This is all that I have to give you, folks. And I think, and I know, it's the best thing that I can ever give you. And I'm not giving it to you. You already have it. And you have the Holy Spirit teaching you. Just here to remind us and to wake us up to things. So that our lives then ultimately would be changing as we glorify Him. Liberty of life. That's life. Life. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. The time on Sunday just goes by too quick, I'm telling you. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. You had died spiritually, but then you were resurrected spiritually. Of course, there is a physical resurrection. We know that that resurrection that conquers. But the second death, the, 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 the death of the physical life has no power. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Will reign with Him. He's the King. And will be priests and kings too, serving Him there. However that may be, just, just imagine it. And it's all about Him, of course. Well, that was a liberty of life. That's, uh, and, and we can live thinking about that. Liberty of being a son of God, a daughter of God. We were adopted into the freedom. We, we talked about adoption already. You know what? We didn't have to work to get into the family. Didn't have to do something to get into the family. You go to a university and you join a fraternity and you have to go through things that sometimes are pretty uh, terrible. Uh, you know, to be a member of that, you know, it's, or clubs that you have to do certain things, and or some things you have to pay money to be a member of, and whatever. But um, he says, no, no, you you don't do anything to get into the family of God. He says, why are you trying to do something to go into uh, this bondage? Uh, you don't want to be slaves again. You want you don't want to treat God like he's an employer. You know what? You want to treat God like He's your Father. Because that's the case. We've been adopted. We've proven that in these Scriptures. A son rests in the standing that by virtue of the new birth that we just read about in First Peter, for instance, or John chapter 3, you must be born again, born from above. The covenant is what we are loving and, of course, we believe in that covenant that He made. It was His will. And in His will, He blesses His children. Draw near. You know, we can draw near. Draw near before the throne of grace. 
I like Hebrews chapter 4.16. Are these some encouraging verses that we're looking at today? I'm not just making it up to make you feel good. And that's not really my thing that I'm supposed to do is make you feel good. But sometimes we do need to be encouraged. But it's the Word of God that's going to do that. If I do, it's going to last a few seconds and boom, it's gone. But this has uh, staying power, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so we take these verses and let Him speak. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 16. Look at this. This is great. This is great. Therefore, let us, because He's high priest, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even though we know we already have had the mercy, He continues to give us mercy and grace every day. The fresh new grace. And we go to that throne. We're in the throne room together with the rest of the body of Christ. We don't see them. We see each other. That's why it's so important to be able to see each other you know, and realize that we're there before Him. Present before the throne room of God. In the throne room of God. Drawing near. So he, he, can you stand firm on that? Can you stand firm as you draw near, drawing off the power of God? And we're still in verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, and what's therefore, therefore? Because of this, you do this. What is He telling them to do? Stand firm. You keep standing firm. They weren't standing firm too good. They were being knocked down by that bondage. And He says, don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't get into that. Get out of that. Stand firm. You know, the liberty we have in Christ is really precious. really is. Okay, let's go to the way of a slave, verses 2 through 4. This is going to be a little quicker, I promise. Behold, I, Paul, the Apostle, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you if you're doing the circumcision thing for the circumcision thing so that you'll be now qualified. And I testify you again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. If you wanted to, you could even put baptism in there. Baptism is really important. Really important. Uh, And I don't want to just insert that in there because circumcision is not baptism. Okay, but and it's a thing that we are to be obedient to in the command, but yet it still doesn't have anything to do with salvation, even though it reflects what has happened to us. That if you receive baptism just in itself, just to be baptized, Christ will be of no benefit to you, whether it be baby baptism, or whether it be uh, child or adult baptism, believers baptism. It still doesn't save you. That's kind of the idea. It's not going to be an advantage or a benefit. So if you want to be the workman in getting salvation and adding to grace, then Christ will not be a benefit. Faith or grace or works or law can't go together. They'll mix. Christ is a great advantage to us. Let's go on the positive there. He paid all our debts on the cross, got us out of the debtor's position, set us free, and He exerts Himself as being the King. And then we read that one verse of showing that we are priests and kings underneath Him. The kingly omnipotence, though, of God, everything is working together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He's working it out. 
Okay, now that's interesting. I test again every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. To keep the whole law. Think about it. He's already asked them that in the previous section last week. I think verse 21, Tell me who want to be under law. Don't you listen to the law? <laughs> Don't you really know what it's saying? What is it really saying here? Uh, James 2.10 Whosoever shall keep the law and offend in one point is guilty of all. It's like a mirror. You break that one crack in one spot and it all just shatters. That's that's it. So that's what he's saying. You're under God's obligation to keep the whole law. Well, they've already blown it. <laughs> they've already blown it. Whether they, you know, it starts with, okay, right now, from now on, I will never sin again. Well, it's too late. <laughs> I've already broken it. Okay, now we get into something that is almost troubling. I like the way I lead you into that. At least I said almost. Because I don't think it troubles you. But it could. If somebody's reading this for the first time, it could be very troubling. And God's Word sometimes should trouble us. <laughs> there are some things in there that are rather difficult. This is a difficult passage. You have been severed from Christ. Wow. Paul, what are you saying? You who are seeking to be justified by law. You... And look at this, this is even worse. You have fallen from grace. You ever heard of that? What happened to that guy? Well, he, he fell from grace. <laughs> fell from grace? What, what are you talking about? Well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, it's in Galatians right there. I, what do you mean? Well, they lost their salvation. No? That can't be that. We already know that, don't we? There are too many verses in the Bible that would conflict with that. If we have confliction in the Bible, we have troubles. And if we, you know, if we have that, I mean, if he says one thing, you cannot lose your salvation, then we have another one that says, oh, you can fall from grace, though. I've heard people use this verse. You've been severed from Christ. See, that, that guy right there, he was saved and now he's not. Okay, can you tell me what Romans... Let's go to Romans 8. Now, we've gone through these time and time and time again. So, And, and so God does not... Um, conflict with himself. Never does his word mean something different than what he said before. Never, ever, ever. He is a God of truth and he never changes. What he says is always right. So what do we do? Well, we take verses and we start using them and using them in their context. And we'll see. Like all of Romans 8 is about that, but you get into uh, one of your best ones. Of course, you look at verse... Uh, 29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, He predetermined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that we'd be the firstborn among, He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And here we go. These whom He predestined, He already used that word, He also called. He called in time. He called them to Him. And the ones He called then, uh, He also justified. That means they have been declared righteous. And then you go one step further and He said, those whom He justified, He also glorified. We've not been glorified yet, but as far as God who is not in time has already glorified us. That's in past tense. It's already been done. It's finished. One day that will happen to us as far as God is concerned. He says they will be. That's a promise. Then we go a little further and somebody's going to say, yeah, 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 but what, yeah, no, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? 
He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who can do that? Say, well, the devil can. Oh, he's already said. Nobody can. Well, I can. I can make my own choice to do that. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, overwhelmingly conquer. Overwhelmingly conquer. Him, through Him who loved us. Here we go. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing, and that means us even, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord because He already decided this before the foundation of the world. And if it's based upon something we do or don't do, then we're out there on our end, on our own, and we're doing a self-righteous thing, and that's exactly what Galatians is about. It's all what God has done; He's already done it. Nothing, and He goes to heights, to depths, from everything He can think of, all the creation, and so not even ourselves can separate us from Him. We're having a bad day and saying, okay, I don't want to be in the Lord's thing anymore. Well, if you're truly His, guess what? You're not going to get your wish. Aren't you thankful? And how many times have you done some sin where you didn't really say that, but the thing is, you just said something or did something that was really not honoring God. And He said, okay, that's it right there. That's the unpardonable sin. You're done. Well, He just lied. He changed His mind. You can't do that. See, it's based on Him. This is grace, folks. No matter our circumstances, no matter what we do sometimes, I'm so thankful He's forgiving. I'm not giving us license to sin, but let's be honest about it. Yeah, we... Sometimes we cut Him off. Sometimes we... We're we're severed because we want to live our own little self-righteous life. We want to do our own little sin. So in that sense, at that time, did you know Christ is really of no effect for you? Do you think Paul was speaking to the Galatians here? Yeah. Do you think some of the Galatians were believers? I think most of them were. There could have been some that were not. There, and we could speak of an apostate in this sense. People who have all the truth and are led up to everything that's true and right. They have seen things. They've experienced things. I mean, they of all people look like they were believers. And apostate what he does then, he finally comes to a point, and you've seen some of them. And we've experienced some of them probably in this church. Over the course of my years, I wouldn't make the decision and I know ultimately God is going to take care of that and I'm glad I don't have to worry about it. But I got a feeling as far as what my little... I can see, humanly, it looks like they were apostate, but I continue to pray for that person, because I don't know. But they, they, they get up to the truth, get everything that they need, and then they, 
stand right there against it. And all of a sudden, all the truths that they used to espouse to are not even believing them. They say, I don't even believe in God anymore. I don't care about Him. I care about how my feelings are and things aren't going good in my life, so this thing is not working. I stand up against it. Right here, like that. And they take the, they're an apostate. Now, God might change them. But I would never, ever want to say something like that. Because what that is showing is that I left. They were not of us because they did they left us because they were not of us. First John says that. We read that this morning too. First John two there. They're severed. They are cut off, if that be the case. And they've fallen from grace. They had grace all around. God kind of favored them. It wasn't a saving grace, but there was they were in on part of it. You want to see it in it's in Hebrews chapter six. Oh boy, I really debated on whether to go here because I could spend a lot of time here. But you know, Hebrews really—I uh, I think A. W. Pink did a super job uh, on his book of Hebrews, big thick commentary like that. I think he did an excellent job on this chapter and uh, uh, many others. There are people that take this in a lot of different ways. Even some of some people it take the far out view that you can lose your salvation. Well, people who are into right theology know that you can't lose your salvation because they have too many other scriptures to deal with. And it's right here in Hebrews six that shows that you can't. I'll prove it. Uh, chapter um, chapter six, I think it's around verse um, verse four. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly just because you're enlightened doesn't mean you're a believer but you know there are some truths that you you know oh wow that's that's true have tasted of the heavenly gift not really partaken but tasted and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit not that he's living and dwelling in them but they are seeing the things that the Holy Spirit is doing amongst the living body of Christ and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted there we go they tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come they saw a miracles and they saw it around them. Things were just going great in the early church. These are like Jewish people. Hebrew people came up all the way to the truth to the point of full revelation of who Christ was and they stayed on the edge. They didn't come all the way over but they were right here because it was too uncomfortable to go all the way over because I'm a Jew and listen... I know what happens if I go over here. I lose my family. I lose my job. I lose everything that I used to be. And now I'm over here with this. I can't do that. I know what they're saying is true. Yeah, He's probably the Messiah. But I'm just kind of going to go like this. That's really who He's writing to here for the most part. And you get to this section, oh, it scares people. And I don't know how many people I have talked to that says, this is it. This shows you where you lose your salvation. Well, I mean, okay, does that mean all the other verses that are all in the book of John, that are all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're in Acts, they're in Romans, they're in First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philippians 1.6. Bob taught that a couple of weeks ago. Philippians 1.6. It's about Him keeping us, Right? And what what he once started, he started salvation. He will what complete it. That's that's the power of him, or it's the power of us. <laughs> All you want, okay? Hebrews six, verse six, and then have fallen away. 
It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. He said there's no other way. If they don't trust in Jesus Christ and that sacrifice and come all the way over into that, there is nothing else that can save them. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's impossible. There's only one way, isn't there? Since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for those sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. You have two kinds there. The one ground that the water comes in. And the other, it does not receive that and it has thorns and thistles. You know what? The parables that Jesus talked about. You remember that? It's just The what? The soils. Exactly. And here is where you know you go if you want to show them they, they you're going to run into somebody say you can lose your salvation and you say okay look let's go to your Hebrews six since you're using that and what you're doing is you're calling a God a liar in the other verses aren't you well no no let's go they'll say let's go to the and they start showing you all the passages that look like you can lose your salvation which are mostly out of Hebrews who's Hebrews written to let's keep the context then you get into verse uh, eight and look at this but. Beloved. Now, it's like he addresses another crowd over here. He says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. What has he been talking about? Them and they. Look at, look, look at your language in there. I, I don't have time to do that. But we are convinced of better things. You and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize, look at this, the full assurance of hope until the end. See, you can lose your assurance. A believer can lose assurance and start to wonder and have doubts that he's saved. But he never loses security as far as Christ is concerned, but His assurance, if He's not walking in Christ and He's doing sinful things, guess what? All of a sudden, the doubts come in. Yeah, He does lose assurance. But He says, you're doing diligent work. Look at the works you're doing. So He's proving, So he's showing two different crowds here. So that you will not be sluggish. See, Christians will be sluggish. But imitators are those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And here we go. See, look at this. It's all based on the promise of God. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You know, who else can he go to, right? You know, I swear to God, people will say that. You know, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. That's a promise that God says. Do you believe it? All believers of that, they're safe forever. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose. It doesn't change. Interposed with an oath. When God takes an oath, done deal. Sealed. Boom. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And you see us and we and you over here. It's them and they. Who are they? The ones who went all the way up with the revelation of God and didn't 
take it in. He didn't let the rain soak into them. He didn't let the seed go in. And here we go. Verse 19. Boy, does this ever prove security to the believer. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil into the throne room. All the way into the throne room, that anchor has been cast all the way up into the heavens, per se. An anchor holds it. It's in the throne room. In that, within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, not them, but us, having become a high priest forever, according to the Lord of Melchizedek. He's a high priest priest, interceding for us in that throne room. And who are we to doubt God that He can take our salvation away because we decided to walk away from it? And that's what people will use finally because they say, yeah, Satan can't even do it. There's no other powers because they read Romans 8 and they usually don't stick any in Romans 8. They don't stick in the book of Romans. (laughs) I wonder why. They like to keep their own justification going. If I keep doing it, what sin is it that's going to separate me? Well, He died for all sin. Okay, what's this have to do with this? Grace versus self-righteousness. Fallen from grace has nothing to do with security. It has to do with the contrast between law and grace. Page 3. You say, could a Christian fall from grace? After looking at what we just looked at? And we could spend the rest of the day uh, doing that. But I don't think I have to do that. If you want to talk to me later, that's great. Let's do it. It's God's free favor on your behalf. That's grace. And it comes when you yield to the Spirit. You can cut yourself off from the flow of grace. You can, as a Christian, fall from grace when you cut yourself or sever yourself from the flow of God's grace. You just cut off the flow of grace in the sense of daily blessing. When you sin, you're cutting off the grace because now you're living on your own works, your own self-righteousness, your own thing. And we lost grip with where we're supposed to be. Christians have lost their grip on grace sometimes. But grace is a way of life. And it doesn't mean God loses His grip on you. John 10, the Good Shepherd, He has us in His hand. Jesus does. And the Father has us in His hand. You know what that is? Double protection. God graciously wants to work in you. Grace is a daily thing. Peter said to grow in grace and knowledge. So that means there is a growth in it. We must be growing. We should desire to do that. Grow in the grace and knowledge. How do you get knowledge? The Word of God. Be around a lot of teaching of it where you can get some more ideas. If it's just you interpreting, you run 
uh, a little bit dry. That's why you, you must keep reading the Word, but also reach out and listen to other people teaching that are solid and sound. Get other books then that can give you further insight. That's what I do all week long so I can get some ideas. Otherwise, I'd be dry as can be up here. God has given us a lot of gifted people. And that's why I read other things, men of God, that have made an impact on me. If it's just me interpreting by, by myself, I would be weak. I'm thankful that uh, the ones that Lord, the Lord has given, the Word of God is enough. Live in the Bible. Live in the Word, but visit good books. It's helpful. It's very helpful. But make sure they're good books. Make sure those authors are good. Uh, we can forfeit the grace of sanctification. Uh, our flesh can be retarded. Don't cut yourself off from the flow of everyday grace. But the ones who are not of Christ, they are apostates. Okay, the way, the way of the child of God found in verses 5 and 6. You also... Get out of First Peter. <laughs> you also do this. <laughs> well, uh, we're supposed to be in Galatians, and somehow I was in First Peter. Okay. I spent a lot of time on that Hebrews, which I didn't even plan to do, and that really took some time. Impromptu. Got to watch that. Okay. Let's stick to the notes. <laughs> uh, verse five and six. For or because we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now, we just covered those difficult ones, didn't we? Falling from grace and, and, and such, and being severed. Uh, are, you, are you settled with that one? Okay, good. Move on. Um, the child of God, the Judaizers are saying, you need to go beyond faith and do some works of merit. <laughs> what they're saying, circumcision. Paul speaks here of the hope of righteousness. He's not referring here to that righteousness that I thought we already had. He says the hope of righteousness. We're waiting for that. Now, we already have been declared righteous. We have already been saved. There's a past tense of salvation. There's a present tense. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We have had righteousness given unto us. We have it now. We will have it later. The hope of righteousness. It's speaking of that groaning that we even have right now. A frustration and disappointment sometimes in ourselves. We wait. We cry out with Paul in Romans 7.14, O wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what we're in now. Every day, we're facing these battles. But there's a great comfort because this is not going to go on forever like this. Wait. And it's not saying that we're lost here, but we will get righteousness later. We already have that. But it's not a test of spiritual life in this age. We already have this great comfort that He's given us in this lifetime. It's the great hope. How often do we see this? It's almost in every passage. Okay, here's what's happened. Here's what you are to do now. But remember, our motivation is what's coming later. 
But I can't wait. <laughs> we must wait eagerly for it. The word implies eager, expectation, and a longing for it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We are now, but we will later. That's, we're just not content with this sin thing. There's a battle, there's a struggle, there's a failure, there's confession of sin, there's, there's forgiveness of sin, and we get relief, and we get joy, and we get power, and then failure again. And then confession and forgiveness and a deeper love to Christ again. Right? You identify with that? That's what's going on. It goes on till that great day that He comes back. Romans 7, 14-23 explains, and we don't have time to read through that, but that's your battle. That's what's happening to your life now. And He's saying to these Galatians, hey, listen, we have this great hope. We wait by God's power. Not our power. He says... Uh, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It's by the Spirit of God, right? That we have the power as we wait. And it's by faith because of that that we have this. We're trusting God in this. We have the, uh, the first fruit of the Spirit. We're able to wait. It's a gift of grace. Waiting by faith. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's found in Galatians 2.20. We've already seen that. That was a powerful verse. The immensity of the love of God, as He says, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, spiritually that means nothing. But faith working through love. The immensity of His love is involved here. We trust that because of His unfailing love. And you know what? When God gives it to us, and that's what Paul is getting ready to move into this next section. When He gives it to us, it's so overflowing that where is it supposed to go? To others. That's why you have church too. Because others need some of that love that God gave you. You can say, well, that doesn't mean I have enough, doesn't mean I have enough love already. Yeah, but you need the love of the saints. You need their love. Like, you need to give away your love. Quit holding on to it. Quit being selfish. What are you doing? What are you doing? This is talking about sanctification here, isn't it? You have the power of God's Spirit in you. Unfailing love He has in us. Give it away to others. Faith and love. Faith in Christ shows its existence by God's love that He has given to us. And it reaches the heart, controls the affections. Faith is not dead, but it's operative. It's always operating. It is manifest. It shows forth in our kindness and affections for others. For others. Are you living for yourself to be satisfied? You're going to fall short. You have to give it to others to experience this great joy in life. There's one last section. You ready? I'll read As I read through it, I'm going to give short explanations. You were running well. Who hindered you? from obeying the truth. Who hindered you? You were running well. Does Paul use illustrations of the Olympics? The race? Running? 
right? You were just moving along and all of a sudden there was some a hurdle came in front of you. And you you didn't hurdle it. And you just who did that? He knows who did it. They know who did it. And it kept him from obeying the truth. That's a troubler, a freedom that came in and did that. The race, Hebrews twelve. You know, things can keep us from running well. You were running so well, what happened to you? You ever wanted to say that to somebody? Have you ever done it? Sometimes I think it is necessary to say that to others. You were doing so well, what happened? What what's what's going on there? Sadly to say, usually the answers I get I don't want to talk about it. Usually it's not even that. Usually they won't let me talk to them. And in a day of technology, I keep saying this all the time, I've been so frustrated. The people say, I just can't talk about it. Uh have too much on me here. I can't handle it. If I get that. Usually it's no answer. God hasn't disciplined What's that? God hasn't disciplined you. Oh, you think right. We're here to keep others from being disciplined by God. When we get into Hebrews chapter 6, we'll get into that. We are here. You know, don't forsake the assembling. That's a command in Hebrews. For why? We're here to stimulate others. That's in Hebrews. It says that. I didn't say it. God did. We're here to stimulate others to good works. What are you doing? But others go run and hide. They don't answer you. Don't answer your phone calls. Don't answer the door. Don't answer emails. Don't answer Facebook. And they're just alone. And they're doing terrible. And they may act like they're doing good. I'm telling you, they're getting eat up inside. Because if you can't talk to another Christian, Christians are here for you. For your good. And not to judge... I never want to judge somebody's life. I don't have that right to do it. But God's Word can build us up and it can show us where we need to be corrected. It's what it's for. And he talks about a little leaven. Leaven's a whole lump of dough. You just bring in a little legalism. Jesus talked about that with the Pharisees, right? Um, I have confidence in you. And here's Paul, the brother. I have confidence in you in the Lord. In the Lord, I have this confidence in you. It's not looking good right now. And I know, but if you're true, Chris, I really have confidence in you in the Lord. Do you see what he's doing as he's wrapping this up here? That you'll adopt no other view. You are doing it now, but I have confidence. But the one who's disturbing you, you know what? He's going to be judged. God judges there's going to be judgment. And it's emphatic there in declaring it. And He's a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. He's a judging God. If one preaches something different, for instance here, but I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Okay. If I, if I do that thing that they're doing then and, and, you know, and such, then I'm being persecuted here. If I, you know, I talk about like we're talking about here then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. See, grace. Grace, the cross, Christ. That's all we need. Boy, that's offensive. That's offensive. The Gentiles hate it and the Jews hate it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 talks about that. The foolishness of the cross, right? The foolishness of the cross. It's a stumbling block. Yeah, it is. 
It's stumble block to self-righteousness. Grace. And he ends on what I uh, find interesting on where we're talking about today, at least as far as we can go. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Hey, uh, Paul, you're talking about love and now you're talking about mutilating. What does that mean? To castrate. Uh, in a spiritual sense. Uh, I wish they'd be mutilated. That's what he's desiring. Why? Because he knows the danger of this. I wish these agitators, these troublers of your souls had come in there and stirred all this junk up. They've upset you and now you're changing. and says, I hope that they'd be cut radically. They'd be judged by God. He wanted the Judaizers cut off from the Galatian church altogether. Yeah, I would too. Listen, that may be severe to many people. And that's why a lot of people don't like Paul. And they say that you know what Paul wrote in here is his opinions. It's God's Word. may seem severe, but you know what? That's a, a most truly act of love that can be done. Because if we let that false teaching come in and affect other babes in Christ, how dangerous is it? That's letting the werewolves in. Right? Paul would rather have a few corrupt false teachers suffer the wrath of God than this whole body of Christians that live in the Galatian area and see the whole entire assembly be destroyed by this kind of doctrine. These kind of doctrines are floating about in our age and time and in the body of Christ all over the TV. I'm telling you, it is horrible of some of the doctrine that I'm hearing being brought forth. And now I'm understanding that some of those same people are saying, listen, we shouldn't judge the, the homosexual lifestyle and the gay lifestyle. And now the same-sex marriage and everybody of the whole world is just embracing that, saying, yeah, yeah, we need, need to go along with that politically correctness. And it's appearing in the church. In the church. People who testify. To people who actually uh, preach the Bible sometimes, some places. They're amongst us. And they're saying, well, we shouldn't be judges. And you know, God God forgives. And some of them say, well, maybe God gave them that kind of lifestyle. Yes, it's going to be accepted in the church, folks. And yes, I hear in Houston what they were trying to do there. The mayor who is a lesbian. You've heard the story on that one, evidently. You guys all heard that. Don't have time to go into it. But uh, wanting the messages, the sermons of the, all the pastors there, so they could investigate their messages on that, and then what are they going to do? Well, evidently, uh, overwhelmingly on the other side, um, things are really happening on that end, and so that doesn't sound like that's going to happen. But if you have one person who can make a decision on everybody else, like judges are doing, like they did in this state, yes, I'm calling out on this because I know that it could be next week or two weeks or two months, two years. One of these days, this will be illegal to talk about this. That's right. But when it comes up and needs to be mentioned, I have to deliver it. It is right. the Word of God. I will not stop preaching the Word when it needs to be. Right. So you guys know where I stand on that? had to bring that out. I know where you guys stand. You know where I stand. What does that have to do with all this? Well, what they are is they're putting people in bondage with those lies. And I finish on this. This is our application. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. For we go the way of the world and let it be easy on us just to go along with whatever else is said. Or we go along with the rest of the church of whatever it's saying and things that really turn against grace. The same people that talk about grace are the very other, the same ones that are talking about losing salvation or being politically correct. It's happening quick, Lord. It seems like it's happening way too quick. You have it under control. Help us to be firm. And that's really what you commanded here in our very first verse that we studied, to stand firm in this true freedom that you have given us, not to be wrapped up under the bondage of sin and Satan and the world, but to see that we have been set free to serve you. You are our master, and we are glad of that. And as we continue to honor you today in song and in taking communion, Thank you for your spirit who helps us to worship you and we trust that it is correct. In Jesus' name, amen.